Today we're going to look at a few different passages instead of uh, just one passage uh, like we normally do. Uh, so I'll get you to uh, look up a couple of places uh, and we'll have a few passages, passages of the scriptures uh, on the screen as well. Uh, we come now to uh, look at God's word together. Uh, let me lead us in prayer uh, as we do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus has indeed risen from the dead. And I thank you that he is indeed Lord. And we pray uh, that you will speak to us, each one of us, about that today. Our Father, we pray that uh, you will help us to realize that he is indeed Lord and that we would respond to him rightly. Uh, be at work among us, we pray, by your Spirit, through your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Nigel was in the same year as me in medical school. Some of you might have heard of him, I've mentioned him before. Most of you won't. There was more than a hundred of us in the class. He was more of an acquaintance, really, than a friend. We moved in different circles. He was with the trendy group. Nigel was, was a tall guy, blonde hair, very popular, and knew nothing about the Christian faith. One day, when we were in first year, he asked me about it. I talked about things. I lent him a little book called More Than a Carpenter. And a few weeks later, when Nigel read the book, he came back to me and said, very excited, he said, you know, it's true. It's true. This, this, this book, I've read this book, it talks about all the evidence for the resurrection of Christ. Christianity is true. It's all the evidence for Jesus and, and the resurrection that I, that I never knew about before. But you know, when I asked Nigel about putting his faith in Jesus, he wasn't ready. And one week after another, after another, and Nigel wasn't ready. I suspect maybe there are too many things in his life he didn't want to change. He knew that following the risen Jesus would mean changes. And, and later on in that year, towards the end of the year, Nigel came to me and said, well, he, he thanked me for my help, explained really nicely that he'd, he'd thought about it, and he decided he didn't want to be a Christian. And that was it. We saw each other in lectures. He was with his friends, I was with my friends. As years went by, we were in different clinical groups. Hardly ever saw him. When we did, it was hello, you know, bump into each other. And, and one day, I think we were in fifth year, and I got the news that Nigel had died. He'd committed suicide. I, I don't know why. On Easter Sunday, we celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. He really did rise in history. If we went back 2,000 years, we would actually see it. There were people there who actually saw the risen Lord. There were eyewitnesses who paid for it in their own blood. We have evidence for it. Good historical evidence, which you can look at at the guest night if you want. But Jesus said, if people didn't believe the law and the prophets, neither would they believe, even if someone rose from the dead. Nigel knew that Jesus rose from the dead. But having the evidence wasn't enough for him. It's not enough for us. We need to know what the resurrection means 
and have a change of heart, a change of attitude towards Jesus. And no amount of evidence can give us that. Today what we're going to do is look at the implications. What does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead, that first Easter Sunday? And not only what does it mean, but what does it mean for us? How should we respond? Well, the first and foremost thing in the Bible, about the resurrection, is the Bible tells us that the resurrection confirms that Jesus is Lord. That, that he is God's promised king. Right, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. is on page 1096. But we're going to go on 1097. Page 1097, Acts chapter 2. It's just a few weeks after the resurrection. The Apostle Peter is preaching about the resurrection to the people in Jerusalem. And what he says, he says that the resurrection shows very clearly who, who, who Jesus is. Let's have a look at his argument. Um, from verse, 20, verse 22 onwards. He starts by reminding people about Jesus' life and ministry. He says, verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Okay, so human beings had killed Jesus, but God had overturned their verdict and raised him up. Now, what does that mean? Well, have a look. Verse 25. For David says concerning him, David, what Peter's about to do is he's about to quote the Old Testament, Psalm 16, where King David, writing a thousand years, beforehand, speaks of Christ. He says, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Hades is the place of the dead. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. See, Peter's point is this. This psalm is saying that God will not abandon his, his king, his holy one, his promised one, to the grave. Now, what does Peter say? Verse 29, Brothers, I say to you with confidence that the patriarch David both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. The Christ means the king, the anointed one. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. See, David had died, and he was buried. He wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about the future king, the real king, to whom he was just a pointer. And that real king would not remain in the grave. And that is exactly what happened to Jesus. Verse uh, 32. This Jesus, God raised up, and we are all witnesses. See, 
David had prophesied that God's promised king would rise from the dead. And when Jesus rose, it confirms that he is that one. He's the only one who ever has. No other leader, no other prophet, no other religious teacher, no, no one else has risen from the dead in that way. In the words of the Apostle Paul, he was descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God, that is the King, in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus shows that he really is God's promised King. He is the one who will rule God's people and indeed the whole world. And he is the one that each of us must submit our lives to as God's rightful ruler in our lives. He is the king. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus shows that he has defeated all the forces of evil. The risen Christ is exalted above them. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 on the screen, is that God raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, Far above all rule and authority and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but in the age to come. See, Jesus when he's the king, he's not just the king of Israel, not even just the king of all humans. He has won the victory over every rule and authority and power and dominion. Every force, every spiritual force, every force of evil that wanted him dead. He has been given the highest place. Far above it all. Above every spirit, every ghost, every power of the spiritual realm. Malaysians often obsess about this kind of thing, don't we? So much so, someone even tried to put a charm under the desk of our former Prime Minister before he retired from office. People fear ghosts and spirits and seek to please them, but, but those who belong to Jesus need not fear. We don't need charms, we don't need magic, we don't need to protect the spirits, we don't need rites and rituals to keep them happy. Because, friends, the power of the underworld has been broken. Christ has descended to the depths of the earth. He has ascended to the right hand of God. He has defeated the devil and whatever other spirits are out there. Everything is subject to him. So those who belong to him have nothing else to fear. Nothing at all. But Jesus has defeated the powers of evil. Thirdly, the resurrection of Jesus guarantees judgment. Guarantees judgment. See, the Old Testament, part of the Bible that was written before, before Jesus, actually spoke of a day of judgment that was to come. In Daniel chapter 12, we read this. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The context is an angel giving a vision to the prophet Daniel. And, it, and, and the angel tells us that there's going to be a general resurrection, and a general judgment. Some be raised to life, some be raised to, to shame. Now, when Jesus was raised, he wasn't just resuscitated. Now, we talk about Lazarus or you know, the, the, the son of the widow of Nain who was brought to life again. No, no. Jesus didn't just go back to living a normal life and then die again. Right. His, his resurrection was unique. His resurrection was different. He was the first of a new order of resurrection. He was raised to eternal life. Jesus was the first one for whom this happened. 
But friends, if God has done it once, then he can do it again. And he's promised that he will. And so the resurrection of Jesus is like a first fruit. A first, a first bit of the harvest that guarantees the rest is going to come. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15.20, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead points to the fact that we will be raised as well. In fact, everyone will be raised. But then also judged. Just like the Old Testament says. And friends, that means that life now has meaning. You see, if all there was to life was 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years and then you die and that's it, uh, what's the point really? There's no point. Just eat, drink and be merry. For tomorrow you die. But in fact, why bother eating and drinking and being merry? If you and I are just a collection of atoms that just randomly came together and are going to randomly come out away from each other again and then it really makes no difference if you're merry or sad, does it? And no difference if you get merry by making other people laugh or by making other people suffer. If you're an atheist and you think that all there is to live and then die and that's it, well, there's no point. No ultimate difference between right and wrong. Or if you believe in reincarnation, that all there is to life is to come back next time as a cockroach or a dog, and oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty pointless as well. You don't remember who you were last time. You won't remember next time. Next time, who you were this time. There's no conscious connection between reincarnations of people. Can you really say that's really you? And what's the point of cycling round and round and round the reincarnation cycle anyway? When the very best thing you can hope for is not to come back, but just to disappear into nothingness, like the atheist thinks will happen anyway. But friends. The resurrection of Jesus shows that there will be a resurrection and there will be a judgment. And it's a judgment that has eternal consequences. We are not playing a game that's got no rules and no score at the end. The timekeeper will blow his whistle. All the players will appear. The game will be reviewed. And a score will be given at the end. There will be a day of judgment. And so we are accountable for all our actions. There are real moral standards outside ourselves. We are answerable to someone for what we do. And we can't escape the consequences just by dying. Can't do whatever we like and then commit suicide before our trial. We'll be raised. And so we need to live now in light of that. There is meaning and purpose to life. And what that meaning, what defines that meaning, is where it's going. The end. And so we live meaningful lives, not meaningless lives. Because one day they will be judged by our Creator. And so we live now in light of that future. And we know for sure that what we do for the Lord is not in vain. Because Christ rose from the dead. Not only do we know that there will be a resurrection and a judgment, but we also know who the judge will be. In Acts 17.31, the Bible tells us that God has fixed a day 
on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You see, the good news is that the judge on that day is the very one who has paid the price for our forgiveness so that we can stand on that day forgiven. For the resurrection not only guarantees judgment, it also guarantees forgiveness for those who trust in Jesus. Let me explain. Those of you who are here on Friday for our Good Friday service will remember uh, Tim uh, was preaching about how Jesus died on the cross to take our place. We saw that sin, our rebellion against God, that is the greatest problem we face because it results in God's condemnation. Because, you see, the judgment is a good thing because it gives meaning to life, but it also condemns us because we're, we're guilty of rebelling against God. None of us have lived up to our own standards, much less, let, let alone God's standards. And the judgment we talked about just now would have left us condemned by God forever. Remember how Tim opened up Isaiah 53? Uh, open up Isaiah 53 with me. Isaiah 53, page 572, ah, sorry, 742, 743. Isaiah 53, page 742. And there in Isaiah 53, we meet someone called the servant of the Lord. The prophet Isaiah is prophesying about this servant a few hundred years before he came. Here's what we read about him on Friday. Verse 4. Chapter 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See this servant that Isaiah is prophesying about. is someone who will actually take our sins. Who would actually come and bear our sins. To be our substitute. To take the punishment for us. He would be innocent and yet bear the sins of the guilty. Now read on to verse 10. Verse 10 across the page. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, now look at that, what happens next. He shall see his offspring, that is the products of his labor, and prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. See, paradoxically, we see here how the servant who dies to bear sin actually sees the fruit of his labor. His life is a guilt offering. It's an offering for sin and yet he sees beyond it. That is because of resurrection. God's will will be put into effect through his hands. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. How could it be if not for the resurrection? You see, the servant in Isaiah is one who not only dies, but also lives again. 
And the only one who's done this is Jesus. And so the resurrection confirms beyond doubt that, that Jesus is the servant, the one who was prophesied many years before. And because he is the servant, he is the one who prophecy said would take away sin. Furthermore, if you look at the passage carefully, you'll see it's only when the servant has completely dealt with sin that he is raised. Look at verse 12. Therefore, see, out of the anguish of the soul he shall see me satisfied, he makes an offering for sin, etc., etc. And then in verse 12, Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with transgressions, transgressors yet bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The servant's resurrection comes after sin has been born and many are counted right with God as a result. Because the servant gave himself up, because his dying for sin worked, therefore God raised him up. And so the servant's resurrection shows that he has completed his sin-bearing task. And the resurrection of Jesus shows that as the servant, he has dealt with sin completely, fully. If our sin was not utterly dealt with on the cross, then the punishment for sin, death, would still apply. But on the cross, Jesus made that perfect sacrifice for sins. And the resurrection shows that God accepted that sacrifice and that Jesus had dealt with sin completely. That he paid for it in full and then he was raised. Our sin could hold him down no more. It was, it was gone. Now if Jesus hadn't been raised it would mean that his death for sin hadn't worked. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's still in your sins. But he was raised. And we know that his death for sin, that once and for all death, was a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice. So that whatever we've done, we can be forgiven. And we can be right with God through Jesus. And brothers and sisters, this means we have a sure basis for hope. Death is not the end. We have a future. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 and 4 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Just like Jesus was given new life when he arose, so too are we given a new life when we believe in him. And we are given a promised inheritance, waiting for us beyond death, beyond judgment, a new heaven and a new earth, a place where God will dwell personally with, personally with us, his people, where God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes, where there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. We know this is true because in the resurrection of Jesus, death has been defeated. And in Jesus there is one person who belongs to this new reality who has come back to ours. 
And the Jesus who died and was raised in new life offers us new life with Him. We have a living hope, a real certainty that this new world will come. And we are confident that we belong, that we have that, what Peter calls that eternal inheritance in glory that will never spoil or perish or fade. And we know that because of the resurrection. And so friends, those who trust in Jesus, those who rely on Him as Saviour and submit to Him as King, need not fear death. For we know that beyond death is resurrection. And beyond resurrection, eternal life and glory. So brothers and sisters, we've been reminded today that Jesus is the servant who died for our sins and rose again. We've seen that the risen Jesus is the Lord, the King of all. We've seen that one day he will come back to make his rule explicit. Raise us all to life again. Judge us for what we've done, which gives life meaning. But for those who trust in him and his death for us, those who have been forgiven by him, this means being part of that great inheritance where we will be with him and all God's people, free from sin and its consequences forever. For those who reject the forgiveness that he offers his servant, there is nothing left but that fearful expectation of judgment. But of those who, who will receive him and receive the forgiveness that he offered, that he bought for on the cross, then life, life is not in vain and is meaningful. As we serve him in all the different ways he gives us, as we, take, as we seek to take this message of resurrection to the world, we know that through this message, God is drawing people to himself so that on the day of resurrection, they will rise to eternal life. Friends, if God is speaking to you today about the resurrection of Jesus, then please don't harden your heart. Don't be like Nigel. Remember Nigel? It's not just a matter of, of knowing the facts of the resurrection or even believing the facts of the resurrection. Trust in Jesus as your King. The one and only God in your life. Trust Him as your Saviour. That servant who died for you and rose again. Give yourself to Him and His service. Knowing that because of the resurrection, your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have raised Christ from the dead. Thank you for, the, for, for all the things that that shows us. Thank you that you have authenticated him and declared him to be your king and the promised one that you've been promising all this time. Thank you that through him we have victory over all the forces of evil. Thank you that we do not need to live in fear. We thank you that through him and his resurrection you have assured us of the final resurrection, the judgment. Thank you that we don't have to live in meaninglessness. 
Thank you that through him and his resurrection you've assured us of the fact that his death on the cross was for our sins and that it worked. We thank you that we don't have to live in guilt. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that his resurrection means that we will be with you forever. Thank you that we don't have to live without hope. Heavenly Father, please, would you strengthen this hope? Would you strengthen this faith? And we thank you that you will help us to keep looking back to the resurrection of Jesus and to live our lives now in light of that. Of all the great things that you have shown us through that. Help us to love him, to follow him, to obey him as our king and to trust him as our saviour. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.